Welcome to Woking Up. White supremacy. White, white, white supremacy is the fringe of the fringe. This is a mini-series brought to you by Polite Conversations. All of a sudden we can't talk about Neanderthal DNA anymore. Here I'll talk about my journey into and out of being a new atheist Sam Harris fan. In and of itself, in and of itself, that video is not evidence of racism. I'm your ex-Muslim host, Ina. No, not the right-wing kind. Thank you for tuning in. This is how the left will die. Wow. Hello. What a crazy start to this year, huh? Insurrections, impeachments, and inaugurations. Oh my. It has been a long January. So, forgive the alliteration, please. Welcome to Woking Up 4. Trump is no longer in the White House, and frankly, that is a relief to me. Yes, of course, there's still loads of problems, and Biden is far from ideal, but he's not Trump, so there is that. As things have been constantly moving and changing, it has taken quite a bit to put this episode together, so apologies if you've been waiting. But to refresh your memories, last time we discussed the post-election roller coaster that Logic Lord Sam Harris was on in that wonderful IDW quote-unquote retirement, <laughs> as well as the highly entertaining infighting and such. Well. Here we are, once again, all is not well in the IDW sphere. The events of January 6th and the subsequent banning of Trump from social media and impeachment have proven to be quite divisive among the rationals. And Sam, who couldn't have possibly timed this worse, uh, released a half-hour or so episode on some of his thoughts for the new year where he both sized wokeness and Trumpism on the evening of January 5th, comparing COVID denial and voter fraud conspiracies to concerns about widespread institutional and systemic racism in the fucking Trump era. Of course, in typical Harris fashion, he put a little caveat at some point and left himself some wiggle room, saying very briefly how they aren't equally bad, of course, of course, but then continued on for much of the episode to keep comparing them as if they very much were two sides of the same coin. And it's not as if that hasn't been a consistent message of his for years now, anyway. In fact, he's often portrayed the left as a much worse threat than the right, because they don't single out Islam enough. Remember when he said he'd vote for Ben Carson over Chomsky? <laughs> yeah. I mean, given a choice between Noam Chomsky and Ben Carson, right, in terms of, in terms of a, 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 the totality of their understanding of what's happening now in the world, I would vote for Ben Carson every time. Right now, Ben Car Ben Carson, I think, is a dangerously deluded religious imbecile. Right? I mean, Ben Carson does not. The fact that he is even a candidate for the presidency of the United States is a scandal. But at the at the very least, I think he could be counted on to sort of get this right. 
which is to say, he, he understands that jihadists are the enemies. And yet, you know, we have the, the masochism on the left that is so totally disempowering in the face of this and is just eager to destroy the reputation of anyone who will worry out loud about the dynamics of this problem. So, right in his first episode of this year, he very, very kindly and conveniently and neatly packaged for us just how wrong and dangerous his thinking often is. Over the last half decade, and long before that too, but especially in these Trumpy years, he has spent the majority of his time, effort, and influence on fear-mongering about the dangers of the left or of wokeness and constantly downplaying the dangers of the far right. I mean, that is undeniable. Surely even his most dogmatic fans that aren't Trumpers should be able to see that. It's just, I, I am worried about a time where, given a choice, between the right or the left, when the left is this confused on this topic of really civilizational importance, and given a forced choice between the two, that even otherwise liberal people will be forced to choose the right. And um, I see that potentially happening in Europe before the U.S., but I, I could see that happening in the U.S. as well. It's, it's not a matter of becoming more right-wing. It's a matter of, you know, the house is on fire, and the only people who seem aware that flames don't usually belong on the ceiling are members of the right. Okay, so then who are you going to trust to put out the fire? You've got one, at least one side is talking about fire more or less accurately and acknowledging that it shouldn't be where it currently is. The other side is, is speaking pure delusion and in many cases reaching for a can of gasoline. No matter how unhinged and dangerous the right became, his focus was always the left. But yeah, this uh, first episode of Sam's really started the year off with a nice IDW tone. Some feared he might lose that after he handed in his imaginary resignation, but hey, see? There was nothing to worry about after all. He even referred to Eric Weinstein again as his friend and positively referenced one of his idiotic terms, too. <laughs> I mean, who really knows with the unpredictable, volatile, and urgent situation in his country, but I do think this might be typical of what we see in the future from Harris. Slipping in and out of IDW mode as is convenient and washing his hands of it, pretending it was never a real thing anyway, at other times when that suits him better. This kind of attempt at uh, having your cake and eating it too is a specialty of Sam's. Contribute for years to the problem. Then, when it's at its boiling point, don't own up to anything, don't acknowledge anything. Just slink away quietly with your hands in your pockets and act like it had nothing to do with you. In retrospect especially, you can see just how much shit Sam has shoveled into this horrifying and toxic anti-left political environment that has now bubbled over in the form of a violent insurrection. But despite that, unfortunately, there are still plenty of people tripping over themselves to make excuses for him. 
The cognitive dissonance you have to have to recognize that Dave Rubin is shit for going on his hyper-anti-wokeness, disgruntled, quote-unquote, liberal path while also sanitizing the far right, but to not recognize that Sam just has a milder version of those traits, I don't even know how that's possible. I mean... This would explain why Sam has had such a soft spot for Reuben for so bloody long and was willing to defend him and publish pieces and do events with him. I guess it's easier to see through Reuben now that he's a full-on Trumper and anti-masker, but really, do people have to have a bar that low? Does it have to be that blatantly repulsive and far gone? For some to recognize the problem... Just look at the urgency of the political climate. It is important, I think, to not lend further credibility to those who've helped bring things to this level. There will be a lot of revisionism in the coming days as people scramble to seem like they were always on the right side and the IDW has always been the quote-unquote intellectual arm of providing the rights, dangerous delusions, and conspiracies some legitimacy. Who the fuck do you think was doing events with Ben Shapiro in giant chairs a couple of years ago? Ben Shapiro, who was one of the Quebec mosque shooters' top searched accounts. Ben Shapiro, who is now minimizing the horrifying zip-tie guy at the Capitol. Ben Shapiro, who handed his daily action email over to Ted Cruz so he could use that to send mass emails about election fraud conspiracies. This is not just about Trump. It's an entire ecosystem. And the both retired and unretired members of the IDW are very much a part of that ecosystem. Don't forget that. The IDW sphere right now is such an excellent microcosmic parallel to the Republicans. There's the infighting between those who have remained loyal to Trump and those who are jumping ship only now that there's been a violent insurrection and those who are anti-Trump but still share the same troubling underlying beliefs and have contributed to the problem. Though, maybe that's unfair to anti-Trump Republicans, because I feel like they've been better than the IDW, actually, at not both sidesing or rushing to Trump's defense in roundabout ways. And on that note... I uh, made a little musical tribute to Sam's wonderful, helpful contributions to the discourse. And this is really just a little sampling. I couldn't possibly fit all his wisdom in one single tribute. But here we go. Crank up the volume and dance. Dance your rational little heart out. on Trump are so poorly targeted that he's being, you know, call, he's being called a racist for things that are not you know, evidence of racism. Again, I'm giving Trump the benefit of the doubt here. They were sick of being called racist for not worrying about Halloween costumes. So millions of these people, along with real racists, told all you whinging social justice warriors 
at Yale and Brown to go fuck yourselves. And can you really blame them? I mean, safe spaces, trigger warnings, new gender pronouns, whingy and social justice warriors, go fuck yourselves. Okay, but that's not the same thing as uttering a dog whistle. The study of hoarding behavior, if someone studies the psychological problem of hoarding, and they study the genetics of it, and then they just happen to, to discover that the genetics are represented differently in different populations, and Ashkenazi Jews, of which, you know, half of my ancestry is, uh, have more of this, the hoarding genes than other people, the hoarding genes. People don't want to hear this. And they certainly don't want to hear that average IQ differs across races and ethnic groups. Average IQ differs across races and ethnic groups. Okay, but that's not the same thing as uttering a dog whistle. White supremacy is still the fringe of the fringe in the United States. I think it's reasonable to worry whether we are witnessing the destruction of Europe right now. And for demographic reasons, for demographic reasons, you see a few videos of Antifa, you want the far right to show up. And you certainly want the state to clamp down on this kind of behavior. You want the far right to show up. Virtually every Democratic candidate at this point is poised to pander to the wokeness Honestly, the far left is as concerned about race as the Ku Klux Klan. And yet the problem is the far left is not the fringe. The far left is everywhere now in academia, in tech, in journalism. Does the killing of George Floyd prove that we have a problem of racism in the United States? Does it even suggest that we have a problem of racism in the United States? The police use more deadly force against white people. It's just the level of political correctness on this issue. The left. Wokeness. The left. Black Lives Matter is many things, but one thing it is, is the leftist version of Trump. The irretrievably woke on the left. The left. The left is just irredeemable at this point. The left, the left, and the left, and the left. Wokeness. Then otherwise liberal people will be forced to choose the right. Is anti-Semitism a problem? Well, yeah, it's a problem. But how big a problem is it? Well, in the States, you know, even in the immediate aftermath of a synagogue shooting, it's not that big a problem. And I've acknowledged that his plain talk about radical Islam is preferable to the sanctimonious lies we get out of the Democrats. My problem with the left is that it's finding evidence of racism everywhere. The left, the left, and the left, and the left. Wokeness. Whingy and social justice warriors. Go fuck yourselves. We have to figure out how to heal the divide in our country. Some people listen to this podcast just for the pleasure of quoting me out of context in misleading ways. Sorry to cut your eargasm short, but we do have a lot to get through. I know, I know. You were really enjoying that pure, distilled rationality poured directly into your brain. 
via this podcast, which is nestled into your ears with the proximity of a mother or a lover. (laughs) Oh, gosh. If you don't get that reference, please go back and listen to the end of Woking Up 3 again. But seriously, though, what do you think the effect of all that crap being pumped into millions of people's ears has been? What do you think the political impact of that is? And yes, before someone tries to point it out to me, I am very familiar with his special brand of Trump criticism. Thank you. I know, I know. He's anti-Trump, yes. But come on. Do you think the impact of all that on impressionable minds has been to create more balanced, nuanced, rational thinkers, or to push people further and further right while making them believe they're becoming more balanced, nuanced, and rational as they transform into the very opposite of that. I wonder. And you know, this little tribute to Sam's geniusness was a broad overview of stuff from the past, but let's be fair and look at a recent sample of his content when, you know, things were getting more urgent. Surely he cooled his anti-left nonsense then, right? Wrong. This is what he was putting out into the world the night before the storming of the Capitol. You ready? It's time for some both sidesing. In fact, our society appears to have shattered itself into competing cults. The cult of Trumpism, with its especially crazy core of QAnon, and the cult of wokeness, with its crazy core of critical race theory. I'm not saying these problems are precisely the same or or necessarily proportional. There's that little wiggle room he gives himself to walk it back by saying he did in fact acknowledge they aren't proportional. But they are the same in being constituted almost entirely by propaganda. To a degree that should only be possible in dystopian fiction. It's like we've come ashore on the proverbial island of liars. And it's just deranging. And all of this seems caused by and further causes a breakdown in social trust. And trust in institutions. But you see, then he goes right back to stressing how he thinks they are in fact similar in being entirely propaganda. Dystopian levels of propaganda. So, not the same, but really the same. They are both responsible for a breakdown of social trust and a breakdown of social institutions. Not like there's an incredibly dangerous problem on the right, which was in power at that moment, that he could have maybe just focused on given that his country's falling apart, you know? Nope. Both sides sing all the way. This is the kind of thing he'd complain about when there was an Islamist attack and people in that tragic moment would be like, it's so sad what happened, it's terrible, but the Charlie Hebdo cartoons were offensive too, or something. And yet our most prestigious medical institutions, like the CDC, and our most prestigious medical journals, like the New England Journal of Medicine, have worked extraordinarily hard in the last year to destroy their reputations. The contamination of public health and scientific communication by political dogmatism on both the left and the right has been catastrophic. We've had our most respected medical voices either 
capitulate to Trump and his messaging or capitulate to the wokeness. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you haven't been paying attention. Right, because dangerous anti-lockdown lunatics and anti-maskers and government officials disobeying scientific recommendations has been a very both sides thing, especially from his American perspective. You know, Trump saying to drink bleach, government officials downplaying and denying the dangers of the virus, refusing to wear masks versus the left, talking about how COVID disproportionately affects minorities, how domestic abuse has spiked because of the lockdown. It's basically the same thing, right? Very, very responsible to put this kind of both sidesing out there in such a volatile environment. Anyways, but whatever you call them, the political extremes have gone mad. Perhaps they were always mad, but the madness has crept inwards and has tainted vast stretches of the mainstream. Mainstream Republicans have capitulated to Trump and Trumpism to a degree that I wouldn't have thought possible. And the ideological capture of the media and our other institutions by wokeness has been just as amazing. One has to reference the behavior of cults to begin to understand what's going on here. Yes, definitely no other groups that you might want to reference the behavior of cults for. Hmm. And this whole the media being too woke thing is such a standard daily caller, Prager you and Trumpian talking point, is it not? I mean, it's called progress, Sam. Everything that's moving even slightly forward, he doesn't like, and he wants things to adhere to some decades-old idea of left-wing values that he finds appropriate. Any evolution beyond that is wokeness. And he does this comparison repeatedly and has done it on his show for years. But if anyone says he's both sidesing in this awful, incomparable situation, he has a built-in defense where he, for a minute, said that maybe these things are not necessarily equal in proportion, but the rest of the episode they are compared side by side as if they are again and again and again. But this one by far, is my absolute favorite comparison. Check it out. Do you think there was a massive voter fraud in the 2020 election and Trump actually won? And Republican election officials and secretaries of state and judges are all in on the plot? Well, if you do, you're in a cult. Do you think that racism and sexism and other forms of bigotry are our main problems in society now? And that they explain all current inequality? Well, some of these things are not like the others. What ridiculous and dangerous comparisons, proven completely wrong just hours later by a violent insurrection. Shameful, embarrassing stuff. If he had any courage or intellectual honesty, he'd revise that and acknowledge he's been wrong. That would be the responsible, respectable thing to do. And bigotry or sexism don't have to be the only or the main problem right now for it to still be a main fucking problem. Imagine denying that in the goddamn Trump and plague era, where clear racial disparities have been shown in the impact of the pandemic and medical care in general. And the effects of the pandemic don't just stop at race either. Let me just read a recent quote from Fortune magazine. Technically, 
women accounted for more than 111% of jobs lost last month. The U.S. economy lost a net 140,000 jobs in December, the first month since April that total payrolls declined, the Labor Department said Friday. But women lost 156,000 jobs overall during the month, while men gained 16,000 jobs. And if fortune is too much of a commie, wokeness-infected source for you, that story's been covered by CNN, Business Insider, and CBS, and a bunch of others, too. Here's another quote from Forbes. Comparing numbers of arrests from BLM protests last summer and the storming of the Capitol. Between May 30th and June 2nd, 2020, the height of the racial justice protests, 427 unrest-related arrests were made in D.C., including 24 juveniles, the police department says. On June 1st alone, more than five times the number of people were arrested than on the day the Capitol was stormed, with 289 people booked. (sighs) How can you be this confidently and consistently wrong? How? And have people continue to give you the benefit of the doubt over and over again. I mean, what, 15 hours later? That podcast episode had already aged terribly. This is a strange time, honestly, to be working on a series like Woking Up, because I imagined I would get to tell the story of my disillusionment in the past tense without needing to keep adding such significant pieces to it almost every time. But Sam's areas of concern and focus have proven to be so colossally wrong and continue to be. His choice in allies and friends so embarrassing that this story still continues to unfold. And so I have to add episodes that I hadn't originally scheduled, addressing some of his recent harmful takes that connect to his past content. (laughs) Like seriously, I was not expecting to do an insurrection-related Woking Up episode, (laughs) but here we are. A couple of times now, I've written a Woking Up episode and had to rejig the entire thing to accommodate some new nonsense he's bestowed upon us. So, you know, it's been wild to keep up with this constantly unraveling IDW drama, the political backdrop, and his incessant galaxy brain takes. I'm kind of regretting doing a series on someone with so many exhaustingly terrible takes now. (laughs) Anyway, hopefully this will be the last detour from my planned episodes and we can move on and eventually get to the actual postmortem of mine and Sam's conversation. People keep asking me if Woking Up is over. No, it's certainly not. Don't worry. It'll only end once you've heard the postmortem of my previous conversation with him. So there are several more episodes to come. I took a break over the holidays because really, who wants to be clipping this garbage at that time? And I also try to keep my other podcast going, so I did release a Polite Conversations episode in December, and I may, here and there, pause to release one of those. Believe me, I need a break from this project sometimes. It has taken so much of my time and energy and has been so draining. I I hate to be a whiner, but each one of these episodes really does take a lot of work. There's a lot of research and tedious re-listening and timestamping and clipping and editing involved and all possible because of my wonderful patrons. So if you're hearing this and aren't a patron and would like to support, you can do that via patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. 
that that reminds me of a funny little side story. I was researching something for this series and stumbled upon an entire thread on Sam Harris's subreddit of his fans calling me a grifter because I have a Patreon and I plug it occasionally. Something nobody else ever does, and Sam Harris certainly never did when he had a Patreon. And not like the extremely rich guy still crowdfunds his podcast or anything. But yep, that's me, the idiot grifter ex-Muslim who gave up the easy route to double or triple my Patreon and my opportunities by talking about Islam, you know... I'm the one who chose to go uphill and speak out against all the people that could help boost my profile as an ex-Muslim. Definitely an excellent grift I'm running. So grifty and sneaky that it's like an anti-grift that caused me to lose Patreon support in proportion to how much I decreased my Islam criticism. (laughs) And speaking of Patreon, Sam had a funny tweet the other day about cancel culture. One can be strongly against cancel culture and still support the cancellation of dangerous psychopaths. And this came after he'd already tweeted thanking Jack for finally taking Trump off Twitter and saying it was the right thing to do. Being pro-Trump's removal from Twitter is an unusually decent take from Sam, which meant, of course, that it greatly upset the other rationals. Eric Weinstein, Rubin, and other large right-wing atheist accounts were all publicly calling him out, disagreeing with him, which rarely ever happens. Um, So it was amusing to watch. (laughs) And they all threw these idiotic, slippery slope arguments at him that he himself usually makes in these situations. I mean, the irony of Sam getting grilled by his own crew for this was absolutely glorious. <laughs> Sam, the guy who once threatened to quit Patreon over Lauren Southern being deplatformed because she was firing flare guns at migrant rescue boats. The Sam who has defended Milo and Tommy Robinson when they were taken off social media. The Sam who did finally quit Patreon when Sargon of Akkad got kicked off for saying the N-word on YouTube. You know the lovely fellow who once said, I wouldn't even rape you to politician Jess Phillips. Definitely the kind of guy who you'd need to take a principled stance for and make a show of. That guy who took that stance (laughs) was now being widely mocked by the anti-SJW free speech warriors he has surrounded himself with. One response to Sam was something like, Oh, I'm just waiting for him to rip the mask off and reveal he was Alyssa Milano the whole time. (laughs) Just a beautiful sight. Twitter isn't obligated to give him a platform to do those things. This is not a free speech issue. And it is somewhat ironic to see all of these erstwhile libertarians not be able to find their libertarian principles and recognize that private companies should be able to do whatever the hell they want to do. Twitter can kick anyone off its platform it wants to. Pretty sure I've heard those same points mentioned before. It doesn't have to be someone as influential and powerful as Trump for people to understand this concept. 
I mean, oh, it's okay now because you think Trump incited violence. Well, guess what? There are assholes that will challenge that. They'll say, no, he didn't. And no, he isn't dangerous. He's the best thing that's ever happened to America. And who gets to decide who the dangerous people are? We've heard it all before. But if you think Twitter can kick anyone off that it wants to as a private company, then so can Patreon without triggering anti-wokists such as Sam. Lauren Southern was shooting at migrant boats, for fuck's sake. She has helped popularize the Great Replacement Theory, which inspired the Christchurch shooter. Sargon blamed Elliot Rogers' mass murder on social justice and the fucking feminist system. Both could be argued to be dangerous psychopaths. But in those cases, Sam, you were the highly influential asshole standing up for them. So, even though I agree that Trump should be taken off social media, it is nice to see someone get a taste of their own medicine. And that's not to say that Twitter is fantastic and always applies its terms consistently. I think they should be more transparent and consistent. But I don't think Trump is being silenced. He has plenty of other platforms. I think companies like Twitter should have terms of service that make their site more pleasant for everyone to use. And no, that is not being anti-free speech. Free speech doesn't mean consequence-free speech. Sam continues on this tangent, though, and ends up at some pretty bizarre places. He can take all the men off tomorrow. And all the women off. It can have only trans people on the platform if it wants to tomorrow. Why? Just why? Why bring trans people into this? A bit of a strange example to choose, especially considering his track record on trans issues. And can you imagine the absolute rage Sam and his fans would be in if Twitter decided to do this? It definitely wouldn't be all, oh yeah, that's fine, it's a private company. It would be the end of Western civilization or something. (sighs) It's definitely been very validating to see how persistently wrong Sam has been and to be able to document it, cathartic even. As an ex-fan who's experienced many dogpiles and occasional threats, for saying things that you'd consider to be the most obvious stuff. Like, hey, Sam, maybe don't give Dave Rubin money on Patreon. Or, hey, look into the thing he's doing before you promote him, for fuck's sake. It's been amazing to see the corner he's painted himself into with his carefully cultivated right-wing audience now screeching about his Trump derangement syndrome and his Twitter mentions. (laughs) It's, uh, definitely been satisfying to see how right I was to back away from that shit after once having fallen for it. A huge relief. Especially observing his trajectory in the past few years, the denial and downplaying of blatant white supremacy after attacks, and to see him flailing and double down at times. To see him try and avoid naming names or get too specific, no matter how embarrassing his pals have become. To see him try and avoid confrontations with people like Ruben or Majid, no matter how many times people put him on the spot regarding these guys, who he's built up and defended and praised so highly in the past. But things are now coming to a head. Even Dave himself has had the balls to call Sam out specifically for being an anti-Trump SJW. (laughs) 
So it'll be interesting to see if there are any confrontations and if he finally summons the courage or testicular fortitude, as Gad Sad would say, to openly denounce Reuben. If he does, now, know that it wasn't out of principle. It was because Reuben confronted him first and put him on the spot. And you know, people like Dave and Majid have just gone beyond his tastes now. This is no longer the more sophisticated, cerebral, semantic game pretending to be on the left type of right-wing sanitizing he signed up for. This is now too blatant, too common, too Trumpy. Yuck, it is uncouth and unbecoming. Never mind that these are the monsters he's directly helped create. As we mentioned already, Sam prefers to quietly back away and hope no one notices how terrible his judgment has been. Compare that attitude to his own friend Andrew Sullivan's. Andrew tweeted on January 6th in response to a tweet asking why the people storming the Capitol were not being immediately arrested. My feelings entirely. These are domestic terrorists. I believe in order. I do not believe in selectively enforcing order only on leftist rioters. This is a shocking scandal. It validates much of the BLM argument. I concede. Because we all saw last summer just how many cops come out with their tear gas and rubber bullets for leftist protesters and... Not just protesters, but the journalists covering them, too, took rubber bullets. It's not hard to see the asymmetry here. On January 6th, we saw images of cops opening gates for and taking selfies with people in the mob. Can you imagine Sam tweeting something like that? Even if Andrew walks it back in a couple of days or whatever, to put that kind of thing in writing, it's not something our rational hero would do. The words, I concede, in relation to something to do with the left, or BLM even, no, I could never imagine Sam saying that. So this gets me into trouble occasionally. And there's a related principle here, which is whatever the topic, it could be race, it could be violence, guns, terrorism, immigration, whatever it is, an honest walk through it will flirt with points that support the side you don't like. And in fact, these may be points raised by terrible people. If only he actually lived by his own words, instead of just firing them at the left. In contrast to Sullivan, while all that was going on, the evening of January 6th, Sam tweeted... Yes, you were right to condemn the violence at the BLM protests and to notice the absurd contortions of the media. But there is a difference between looting a banana republic and turning our country into a banana republic, which is what Trump and his enablers achieved today. Yes, I know, once again, he's saying they're not the same level of bad, but he just has to bring up the left and don't miss the clever little wordplay about the store banana republic and a banana republic. Such a genius. 
but come on, even when the fucking president has incited a violent mob of fascists and Nazis and white supremacists, which we were told are extremely fringe at the fringe, by the way, to storm the Capitol and piss and smear their shit on the walls and floor, even then, as that is happening before his very eyes, Sam was simply not able to just give a clear-cut condemnation of the far right without whataboutting and pointing at the left as well. Andrew Sullivan, who people easily recognize as on the right, who doesn't lie about not being a right-winger, even he was able to do it better than Sam, who is definitely not a right-winger. But hold up. That's one tweet. Maybe I'm not being fair. Maybe in the next podcast he puts out addressing this insurrection, he'll acknowledge how wrong he's been and just put out a crystal clear, non-whataboutting, razor-sharp criticism of the right without even so much as a glance at the left. I mean, these are extreme circumstances, right? Even Sam, who is anti-Trump after all, will likely do that. Nope, the episode has dropped. Let's listen to some of the clips from this one, shall we? We have a problem on both sides of our politics where people have become single-issue thinkers. Even people who are very smart on other topics. It just seems that now most people can't manage to think about two problems at the same time. You know, it's possible to have cancer and heart disease at the same time, right? That's a possible state of the human body. And they're both problems. And they have to be thought about differently. They've got different causes, different remedies. It is possible to acknowledge that Donald Trump is the most dangerously unfit person who has ever occupied the office of the presidency, while also acknowledging that leftist social justice hysteria is terrible and needs to be opposed. So, in the first two minutes, we are beginning with some strong both-sidesing already. Nice. The far right has just launched a horrifying, violent attack on the Congress in which five people died and Sam is already comparing the left to heart disease. Granted, not as bad as cancer. Hooray, thanks for acknowledging that. But still, a potentially fatal fucking disease. Really good stuff to put out there after such an attack. Great start to this episode. What comes next? You don't have to be a genius to keep both of these grotesque objects in view. And yet it appears that only a handful of people, really, can manage it. Yes. Donald Trump, you acknowledge, has just incited a violent attack, but what about the SJWs? Listen, guys, please remember that they are both grotesque objects, okay? Here are the two reactions that I find most troubling. On the right, or right of center, many people are minimizing the gravity of what happened at the Capitol by comparing it to the violence that attended the BLM protests last summer and the insane events in Seattle and Portland. And these people are now focused on the hypocrisy of those in the media and in the Democratic Party who overlooked the violence last summer and 
who are now calling for law and order. The real problem is almost certainly worse than this. The real problem is that nearly 50% of Republicans support the attack on the Capitol. That is a horrific polling number. That is the abyss politically. But that aside, virtually everyone right of center is focused on the hypocrisy of the left, both real and imagined. Okay, now this is a dangerous delusion on many levels. First, in many cases, it's not true. You know, it's not true to say that Biden and Kamala Harris didn't condemn the looting and violence last summer. They did. They just didn't do it enough. Not nearly enough. And I criticized them at the time. Yes, the BLM riots were also a disgrace. And yes, the press contortions around them were also a disgrace. To have CNN anchors say, as a dozen cities were being set on fire, well, whoever said protests need to be peaceful, that was a disgrace. To have a journalist on camera trumpeting the mostly peaceful protests, even while cars and buildings burned in the background, that was all a disgrace, right? And just amazing dark comedy. And yes, it was insane, patently insane, to see calls to defund the police as social order was unraveling across our country. But what happened this week was altogether different. Nothing like this has ever happened in our country before. Aw, he didn't want you to think he'd forgotten to point the finger at BLM. He's playing all the hits in this one. Don't you worry. Even in these unprecedented far-right riot times, he's got your back, anti-wokists. He isn't ever going to forget you. Just take a moment to view this travesty through the eyes of Xi Jinping or Vladimir Putin or any other dictator on Earth who has a real interest in proving that democracy just doesn't work, right? That there's nothing to aspire to. They have captive populations who they are messaging to. Now they get to tell them that democracy is bullshit, right? That having a free press is just dangerous bullshit, right? Because it drives people insane. You know, I'd take his concerns a lot more seriously if he hadn't literally funded far-right sanitizers like Rubin, who made it their mission for years to pump out dangerous disinformation and try and delegitimize any credible press or media. Rubin even said shit like, there's a necessary space for Infowars, for fuck's sake. Imagine funding that shit despite multiple people warning you and now complaining. And to fail so hard at containing the absolute madness of our president that we can't even talk about these other failures. We can't even talk about COVID or the Pearl Harbor level hack of our government because we have a shirtless fucking Viking stalking the halls of Congress. We've got people in Camp Auschwitz t-shirts hunting down Nancy Pelosi at the behest of the fucking president of the United States. Oh, wait a minute. 
if the Auschwitz shirt guy is there at the behest of the fucking president, it must mean that white supremacy is in fact not so fringe after all. Maybe he's about to acknowledge how wrong he's been about all that. Seeing as he sounds pretty mad right now, let's continue on and find out. Many people on the left are interpreting the utter failure of law enforcement to protect the Capitol this week as a symptom of white supremacy. They're racializing this travesty. Oh. Hmm. Definitely not acknowledging how wrong he's been about white supremacy yet. He thinks it's the wokists that are racializing this. Fuck. No, I hate to break it to you, but I think that's the Confederate flag guy and the Camp Auschwitz t-shirt guy and all the proud boys and the cops taking selfies with these people, allying with them and opening gates for them who are racializing it. And the goddamn obvious as fuck double standards for these privileged fucks versus the BLM protesters that even Andrew Sullivan had the decency to acknowledge. Now, I've already read some comparative stats on the arrests, but here's some more data on the double standards. Police in the United States are three times more likely to use force against left-wing protesters than right-wing protesters, data from a nonprofit that monitors political violence has revealed. They garnered data on police responses to more than 13,000 protests across the country since last April. The U.S. data released this week showed that police often responded with more force at Black Lives Matter protests compared with pro-Trump or other right-wing demonstrations. Since April 2020, police force was used at about 4.7% of left-wing protests compared to 1.4% of right-wing protests. Law enforcement used tear gas, rubber bullets, batons, and other force against demonstrators at 511 left-wing protests and 33 right-wing protests in that time period, the data showed. Left-wing protesters were also found to be more likely to see a violent response from law enforcement regardless of whether the protest was peaceful. And this has been covered in The Guardian, Independent, Newsweek, and a whole bunch of other places, so look it up for more details if you want. Here's what Joe Biden tweeted. No one can tell me that if it had been a group of Black Lives Matter protesters yesterday, that they wouldn't have been treated very differently than the mob that stormed the Capitol. We all know that's true, and it's unacceptable. And every anchor on the news has made this point, and Kamala Harris has made it, Michelle Obama, Barack Obama, everyone has tried to stick this woke landing. So in tune with reality there. Hey, I'm happy to criticize shallow performative wokeness, but... In this case, I think the double standards are just so glaringly obvious that anyone who hasn't got the most extreme ideological blinders on would be able to see that. And it's the wrong point to make. And it's wrong in almost every way. It would be wrong even if it were right. Even if it were obviously true, it's not the point to make now. 
Wait, what's that now? It'd be wrong even if it were obviously true. It's not the point to make now. Why? If you want to address the problem, you need to address what has inspired this extremist movement. You'd think that someone who was so sick of people refusing to acknowledge that ideology plays a role in radicalization would not have this pathetic take right now. This is like, to explain it in more new atheist terms, like someone saying right after an Islamist attack that it is not the time to point out that religious extremism did in fact cause this. This is not the time. Come on. It's divisive to even mention Islam after a jihadist attack. (laughs) How well do you think that would go down? I have lost so much respect for Sam just from seeing how little he holds himself to his own principles. But there are so many ways to see that it is probably not true. I'm sorry, probably? Probably is just not good enough here. At best, it's a half-truth and a slightly paradoxical one when you look at the details. When something is this easy to see and it isn't being seen, you really have to worry about what's happening in our culture. Yeah, sure, if you squint your eyes and turn your head away from the problem, you won't see it, maybe. But data says otherwise. Consider the events of January 6th at the Capitol through the eyes of all the black cops who were struggling to defend that building and the people in it. I mean, some of the most shocking footage of how unprepared and unequipped the cops were was of this lone black officer being forced up the stairs by the mob, endlessly retreating. Perhaps you've seen this, right? It's crazy footage. At one point, he picks up a baton and then thinks better of it, right? His gun is apparently meaningless to the horde of zombies who are pursuing him. And there's one especially aggressive white guy who keeps chasing him up the stairs, right? And the cop keeps backing up and backing up. What is being claimed here? Are you telling me that this black cop didn't shoot white boy in the face because of his own internalized white supremacy? This double standard was operative there. He would have shot a black rioter and not a white one. Is that really the claim you want to make? No, Sam. No one is making that claim. Gosh, I get secondhand embarrassment from the stupidity of these takes. The claim that is being made is that the double standard is systemic, not that every individual in this situation would automatically shoot the people they didn't if they were black. And this cop in particular, Eugene Goodman, There have been published reports that he was deliberately steering people away from a hallway leading to the Senate chambers as a tactic, and this information was available when Sam's episode came out. So this is just lazy and so poorly thought out. My gosh. So this black cop didn't shoot white boy in the face, not because of his own internalized white supremacy, but because it didn't make sense to at the time. I am so tired.
One positive thing to extract from this brain-melting take, though, is that Sam fanboys can no longer whine about terms like white boy, since the prophet himself used such language here. Because otherwise, the brain crew who tells immigrants and minorities to just get over racist quote-unquote jokes and slurs even cry oppression if you even refer to them as white men. I once had an extremely big-brained atheist tell me that white man was a race-based slur. But if the most logical one of all has deemed it appropriate, then surely we can direct it towards them, too. There's another place to put the lie to this racialized framing. A white woman was shot and killed. How many BLM protesters were shot and killed by cops over months of rioting in dozens of cities? To my knowledge, none. Imagine if one were. Imagine if a black woman were executed at point-blank range. Surely that's the way it would have been described had it happened. Black woman executed at point-blank range for merely trying to breach a door at an otherwise peaceful BLM protest. What would have been said had that happened? That's all we'd be talking about now. This is so disgusting. It's hard to even speak about it and correct it because I'm so frustrated. If you look up the list of police violence from the racial justice protests last summer, it's so long. And not just protesters, but little kids as young as three, people walking past with their groceries, random people on their bikes, multiple journalists were all treated brutally. The police were gassing people, trampling them while on their horses, spraying chemical agents indiscriminately onto random people. And a black man, a chef, David McAtee, who used to feed the homeless and police officers for free, was shot in June when the National Guard and police showed up in the plaza his restaurant was in to try and disperse the crowd that was gathering there defying the curfew that was put in place during the protests. Yes, the crowd was defying the curfew, but they were otherwise peaceful, but then things escalated when the National Guard and police showed up. Then this poor man who was in his kitchen came out to defend his restaurant, not knowing what the commotion was, and was shot. They came to his restaurant He wasn't even protesting, and he wasn't even trying to overthrow democracy or anything. And Sam seems to be burdened by the fact that people talk about such stories a lot. Just vile. But here, a white woman was shot in the neck and killed. It's completely understandable she was shot. What's not understandable is that more weren't shot. But to interpret this as yet another symptom of white privilege is frankly crazy. And there is endless footage of BLM protests gone wrong, where the cops are just standing and watching and doing nothing, right? They are not using extreme force on crowds of looters who are disproportionately black. On crowds of looters who are disproportionately black. Disproportionately black. We all saw that footage and asked ourselves, what the hell are the cops there for if they're not going to stop people from burning down buildings 
Yes, absurd force was directed at peaceful protesters in many places, rather than looters and arsonists. And many of those peaceful protesters were white. Those peaceful protesters were white. Those peaceful protesters were white. Oh my fucking god. So, a white woman was shot. Therefore, this has nothing to do with white privilege or racism or any of those other uncomfortable topics. Do you see how ridiculously simplistic that analysis is? Childlike, even. A black cop who didn't shoot and a white woman who got shot. There were looters that were black and there were instances where they weren't mistreated. Did you hear that? There were even instances where white peaceful protesters were mistreated. Wow, that systemic racism within law enforcement and the police completely refuted. And I guess it also definitely discredits the idea of any racism or white supremacy in this violent MAGA siege with Confederate flags and Camp Auschwitz shirts. Libs owned with facts and logic. Using this abomination that occurred at the Capitol as yet another opportunity to score a social justice point is frankly idiotic. Tell that to known SJW Andrew Sullivan. It sounds more like Sam is using this abomination to cling desperately to any anti-wokeness he can possibly find in this situation, despite being anti-Trump and recognizing the horrors of this event. And it's incredibly divisive. It convinces everyone right of center that their cynicism and blind partisanship is totally justified. What we're witnessing now is just how high a price we are paying for the hypocrisy and moral blindness of the media during the BLM riots. We would be in a much better place had they not bent over backwards to obfuscate What a sickening eruption of criminality we were witnessing. Big shocker. This far-right insurrection is actually the price we're paying for the left's obfuscation. And that quote-unquote sickening eruption of criminality, a.k.a. the racial justice protests, were about 94% peaceful, by the way, according to the data. But, you know, how dare the media obfuscate and say the protests were mostly peaceful. Seriously, Sam's anti-left hatred has blinded him to such a bizarre degree. Where privileged right-wing protesters felt little fear of repercussions to the point where they were live-streaming their fucking crimes with no face coverings, wearing work lanyards, advertising their realtor businesses, and he wants to deny privilege and double standards? Come on! Here's another disanalogy. We're being told that the Capitol Police would have behaved like jackbooted thugs had the Capitol been attacked by a BLM protest. Anyone remember the endless imagery of cops bending the knee at those BLM protests? Literally getting down on their knees in solidarity as something approaching a Maoist struggle session surrounded them? 
Yes, there was some peculiar behavior of cops on the Capitol, but I didn't see any bending the knee in solidarity. Okay, bending the knee. What a fucking way to frame it. Uh, I don't think they were forced or pressured. If they feel solidarity for the cause, or if they want to do some damage control via performative solidarity, I mean, that's up to them. It's not like the Khaleesi came over and forced them to bend the knee to wokeness. And it also wasn't endless. There were plenty of clips of them mistreating protesters, too. Really telling that he sees solidarity with BLM as comparable to a Maoist struggle session. It's like a window into his mind because this is, <laughs> this is the level of oppression he sees when he sees anti-racism. And I don't know, but maybe you didn't see public displays of solidarity like that because there's a difference in the way society perceives solidarity against police brutality and solidarity with the Proud Boys, for example. So even if they felt solidarity, it's not something they'd want to display as loudly in the same way, especially if they've been under scrutiny for having a racism problem or for sympathizing with the far right. Honestly, at the time I'm recording this, it is still a mystery why the Capitol was so unprotected. And there might be some real conspiracy behind that. It could be something that reaches all the way to Trump, or it could be due to the fact that the mayor of D.C. didn't like the heavy-handed federal response to the BLM demonstrations that happened in D.C. in particular. Wait, 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 wait. I thought cops were endlessly bending the knee. And now, all of a sudden, it's a heavy-handed response, is it? So ironically, it could be a fairly woke mayor's resistance to heavy-handed policing that left the Capitol undefended. Ah, now I see. The violent MAGA insurrection incited by Trump was actually the fault of wokeness and BLM. And not just wokeness in general, but specifically the woke mayor of D.C.'s fault. Any evidence at all for that, Sam? Or are you just pulling this stuff out of your ass? Hmm. Nothing to back it up, huh? Thought so. You see, this is why Sam makes the big bucks. I could never have this kind of rational insight. That would be amazing to have that be the underlying cause of what is now being alleged to be proof positive of the truth of white supremacy and white privilege governing law enforcement in this country. <laughs> he can barely conceal his glee at this fantasy he's cooked up. Just amazing. Anyway, I don't know what happened there. I'm sure we will learn a lot. And it could point in both directions, right? It could be overdetermined. You know, we could find out that some of the cops are diehard Trump supporters who totally sympathized with the attack on the Capitol. We could find out? I mean, we already know this, though. We've known it for a while. But more recently, according to Reuters... At least two Capitol Police officers have been suspended and more than a dozen others are under investigation for alleged dereliction of duty or aiding or abetting rioters. 
and at least 50 elected officials and others in public sector jobs are facing internal investigations. But I don't know, it's no bending the knee to wokeness, right? However, why don't you go ahead, Sam, and make excuses for whatever strange behavior and lack of action you did see? From the footage I've seen, it's easy to see how, in certain places at least, the cops could have been somewhat mystified by what they were up against. I mean, it was kind of mystifying. You had people who looked the part, right, who looked like straight-up insurrectionists, which is what they were. And then you had old ladies and old men who were kind of shuffling in there. And then all the cosplay and costumed weirdness. Okay, so because there were old people amongst the insurrectionists and costumes, uh, the cops were unable to react appropriately? Is that the strange claim you want to make? This cosplay point reminds me of how he did the whole, oh, but he was just trolling online thing with the Christchurch shooter, as if it makes it less serious or something. I mean, we can see that trolling and cosplay can be mixed with extremist ideology, right? And like us, the cops too have lived through the past few years and should have not been thrown off by some horns and Kekistan flags. That's no excuse. I don't put a lot of onus on a cop in that circumstance who's trying to humor a bunch of people by taking a selfie. I don't know what the mood in that particular room was like at that moment. Mm, I guarantee you that if it was like another kind of cosplay with turbans and stuff, even if they weren't terrorists, I don't think anyone, especially cops, would be taking selfies with them. If a mob of them angrily descended on the Capitol. And if they were, Sam would be the first to call it out. Those cops got completely screwed. And to summarize their failure as a symptom of racism, again, even as you see black cops among them struggling to protect the place, it's so sloppy and disingenuous. And this pseudo-insight is now raining down from on high from every liberal voice in the media. Oh, this tired old point again. They deliberately refuse to understand what systemic means and that the presence of a single black cop or police chief or president doesn't change the racism that permeates all sorts of institutions. I think that's what's sloppy and disingenuous. We have millions of conservatives who are not QAnon lunatics, but they are absolutely outraged over the selective application of outrage. Excuse me? Is the king of bringing everything back to wokeness, even after a violent insurrection lecturing others about selective outrage? 
By this measure, there are plenty of people on the left who warned you, Sam, time and time again as you plunged further and further into the anti-wokeness, even as the far right flourished. Even experts on these topics who you yourself invited on your show but then dismissed as too woke warned you how widespread this problem is, but you downplayed it as fringe of the fringe while continuing to be outraged about campus kids and anti-racists and people not being able to say the n-word. That is selective application of outrage to a dangerous degree that people absolutely have the right to be upset about now. So maybe hold yourself up to those standards first. The analogy between what happened last week and the BLM riots is idiotic. This guy is so confused. He doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Constantly flip-flopping. Okay, so it's idiotic now. Even though you've been both sidesing for much of the episode. Is idiotic. But it is easy to see how the media and democratic politicians have totally discredited themselves in their eyes. Oh, okay, so not so idiotic after all, because they've totally discredited themselves? Talk about mixed messages. And to just dunk on the right now, as the orange goblin is driven out of office, is a colossal mistake, politically, pragmatically. We have to figure out how to heal the divide in our country. Oh... Look who cares about unity and healing divides all of a sudden. Whatever happened to the constant drumbeat of anti-leftness? Was that supposed to heal the divide? Was it a colossal mistake politically and pragmatically? I haven't heard you say that, Sam. Maybe do you think you and the Brain Club contributed to the divide a little tiny bit? Maybe he's going to acknowledge it, guys. Let's see. Antidote to the lies of Trump and his enablers can't be the lies of the left. <laughs> no, nope, nope. You know, lies like systemic racism, police brutality, the urgency of addressing the far right. You can't let things like that get in the way of your extremely large brain. We need an intellectually honest discussion about what's going on in the world. Okay, this must be where he says he was completely wrong and misjudged the problem of the far right because intellectual honesty and all that. So I'm certainly worried about what the far right and the Trump cult is capable of. Oh, are you now? And to just, for 10 seconds, revisit a position I took long ago. Dedicating 10 whole seconds to it. Wow. And to clarify, it wasn't that long ago that Sam was downplaying the far right? position I took long ago, which has now changed in light of recent events. And all it took was a teensy-weensy little violent siege. Whenever the topic of white supremacy and, you know, Christian militia risk has come up, I have claimed to be agnostic about how big a problem these things are in our society, whether they were diminishing, uh, whether they were being exaggerated by the people who focus on those issues. Agnostic? (laughs) 
Is that what he's calling it? No, no, not at all. He's actively dismissed experts and data and stats and said they were untrustworthy. He downplayed the Christchurch massacre as online trolling and not sincere belief. He's repeatedly said that white supremacy is fringe of the fringe. He wasn't fucking agnostic. He was a downplayer and denier. And this would be a good time to acknowledge a misjudgment rather than just pose it as, hmm, I'm spending 10 seconds to say that I have miraculously revised my position because of my high IQ and excellent observation skills. I now think that everything in that cesspool, whatever you want to call it, is suddenly of much greater concern and growing concern now. Suddenly, huh? Wow. Well, that was sure a roundabout way of saying the wokists were right all along when they were sounding the alarms, and I was wrong to use my platform to minimize it repeatedly. Ugh, you know, movement atheists could have been relevant at this moment. There's so much to talk about from the atheist perspective here. If only they hadn't descended into anti-wokeness hysteria as their attempts to stay relevant. There's a lot to be said about the evangelical element of MAGA. How many weird displays of religiosity were at the Capitol that day? How the Proud Boys knelt in prayer? How after the insurrection, the official Gab account was tweeting about how crusader Christianity is rising. There were some people chanting about the blood of Jesus covering this place at the Capitol. There's all sorts of more valuable things to discuss than the dangers of wokeness at this moment. But they've made their choice, clearly. And they're digging their heels in. But aside from the pathetic, desperate clinging to anti-wokeness in the aftermath of a violent coup attempt, this particular episode of Sam's was also an inconsistent mess. He said the cops were doing nothing a lot of the time, but then he also speculated that the fucking attack at the Capitol was a result of wokeness restricting the heavy-handed policing. He began his episode complaining that the split in society was because people have become single-issue thinkers. But what message do you think he's been sending all along when he justifies people shifting further and further right, either because of wokeness or Islam, or when he says things like he'd vote for Ben Carson over Chomsky because Islam? Is he too not a single-issue thinker, creating more single-issue thinkers? He called comparisons between the insurrection and BLM protests idiotic, but he also engaged in those types of comparisons throughout. He said there was no proof of white supremacy, but he ended with how he's now more worried about white supremacy. Why would that be the case if this event had nothing to do with that? And you see, when it comes to Islamist attacks, it is only ideology that matters. No other sociopolitical factors matter. But when it comes to a far-right, white supremacy-related attack, we must definitely not look at ideology, but instead consider everything else. Everything but ideology, in fact. The old people shuffling around, the mystifying costumes, the wokeness. I mean, I don't know what it's going to take for people to stop putting him on a pedestal as some great thinker with amazing political insight. But anyway... Now that this excruciating episode of Sam's is covered, and I can see the light at the end of this tunnel, looks like we're pretty much done here. 
Oh, fuck. He's dropped another episode. He put out so much crap in such a short period of time. He's been working hard to justify this. Nothing to do with racism shit. But that means I, too, have to work hard to counter all that crap. So back in we go. I will try and do this bit as quickly as possible. Bear with me here. Let's see what he's saying in this new gem of an episode. He clearly seems to have gotten a lot of pushback for the dumbass bullshit in his previous episode. And I guess that has caused him to want to refine his nothing-to-do-with-racism position with more pretzel brain stuff. It's funny how Sam is always so misunderstood. It's not that he constantly spouts nonsense. It's that people just aren't wise enough to get what he's saying. Okay. Just a brief housekeeping to tie up some loose ends from the last podcast. I got a fair amount of pushback, which to my eye rests on a misunderstanding. I'm slightly embarrassed that I didn't see the grounds for this misunderstanding when I recorded the last podcast. (laughs) But I've gotten a fair amount of grief for my claim that the police response at the Capitol would not have been much different had that been a BLM protest that became a siege. I was pushing back against the claim that the behavior of the cops at the Capitol was a sign of white supremacy, white privilege, you know, the the general racializing of the interpretation of the, the failure to protect the Capitol, which was happening everywhere and, you know, from Biden on down. And I stand by everything I said there, but I didn't recognize that this concept of police response was open to two meanings. And many people took it to mean something that I would call police presence. Rather than the behavior of the cops who were actually there, many people allege that there simply would have been more cops there had this been a BLM protest. And that the fact that there weren't is a sign of racism. I think it's quite possible that many people would have assumed that a pro-Trump rally would also be by default pro-police. That would not have been a crazy assumption given all that has preceded us. So therefore the, the idea that maybe they don't need a massive show of force from the cops to prevent an insurrection because these people are generally pro-cop. Maybe that factored into the decision-making around how many cops should be there in the first place. But there's no necessary racist implication from that difference in assumption. And you can see that if you just imagine what the cops would have assumed of an Antifa protest. Had there been the biggest Antifa rally in human history, massing at the Capitol, what would have been the posture of the cops? Well, I would bet more or less everything that it would have been every bit as risk-averse as it would be in the case of a BLM protest, which is to say that the obvious animosity of Antifa to law enforcement would have dictated exactly what people are claiming would have happened in the case of a BLM protest. And this strips away the variable of race almost perfectly. Does it, though? Let's think about that for a second. 
Antifa certainly seems to be an almost entirely white phenomenon. He has absolutely no basis for saying this, of course. There are plenty of non-white anti-fascist activists, and also it's really hard to determine the racial makeup of something that's not a formal organization, but instead just a bunch of random groups and people. But all that matters is that he's sure it's almost entirely white based on nothing other than the fact that it fits so neatly with his nothing-to-do-with-racism claims. And not to mention the fact that police attacking people at an anti-racist demonstration, regardless of the individual races of the people in the protest, would still be them attacking those pushing back on or threatening the racism that exists within law enforcement. So, yeah... That's him trying to neatly walk back some of his stupidity and present a new, more tightened version of this stupid take. He isn't actually wrong, you see, because pro-Trump stuff is just seen as pro-police. So why would they even think to have a strong police presence for a group that had been threatening to try and overthrow democracy since the election back in November, you know, when they were showing up armed with rifles and shit and intimidating people counting votes, surrounding the places where people were counting them? Why on earth would the police prepare for those people? They seem so cuddly and cooperative and pro-police. And also, when addressing the double standard, you have to see that BLM is a cause that is entirely to do with opposing racism, and Antifa too opposes the far-right and white supremacists. So mistreating BLM protesters or Antifa would definitely still have something to do with racism. You can't disentangle these things. Pro-police and anti-police, especially in the context of BLM or Antifa versus Trumpians, is very much tied up in anti-racism and pro-racism, respectively. And what about this video that's circulating of a cop talking to one of these insurrectionists inside the fucking Senate, saying, Hello, good sir. This is the most sacredest place of all. Can I ask you nicely to leave, please? At that point, did they still seem so harmless and pro-police when they had already come in and destroyed shit? Does he think that's a tone cops often take with black men? Even those who are doing absolutely nothing? And now we're hearing reports that the FBI and Justice Department are considering not charging some of the Capitol rioters. We're hearing that the zip tie guy might be released from prison until his trial. Can you imagine any other terrorist that has come in with the intention of taking lawmakers as hostages being treated that way? Surely there are no double standards at play here. I think viewing any part of this failure at the Capitol in terms of race is just deeply unhelpful in addition to very likely mistaken. And this would not change if we found, as we almost certainly would if we went looking, that some of the cops or some of the decision makers are avowed racists and Trump supporters. None of that changes the general picture of what happened here. In the same way that finding a few Antifa goons among the insurrectionists will not change our basic understanding of what happened there, right? This was a pro-Trump insurrection, even if you can find 
some anti-Trump, far-left, BLM-loving people in the crowd. Wow, this is some level of commitment to try and justify an absurd worldview. He has spent the last three episodes doing all sorts of mental gymnastics to try and make this work, and every attempt is more pathetic than the last. So now he's really saying that it still generally would be nothing to do with racism, even if we discovered that some cops and decision makers were avowed racists. Because that doesn't reflect on the thing as a whole, you see? That's just some people. Just like, you know, maybe there were some Antifa goons in there. You wouldn't think it was an Antifa attack then, would you? I am very smart. Because Antifa and racism are famously two things that are equally distant from Trump supporters. Yes, yes, you see, this is a Trumpian attack, and Trump is racist generally, um, but, but not specifically, because the left lies about that, and there may be important people that are racist involved in this, but on the whole, we shouldn't view the failure to contain these insurrectionists, some of whom may be racist, as racism-related generally, because there is no racism in law enforcement. Am I getting that right? So, I hope that is clear. <laughs> no, it fucking isn't. Given the need to figure out how to build a bridge right of center, at a minimum, given the need not to confirm the paranoia of everyone right of center, that there's a tsunami of wokeness now breaking over all of society. Hang on just a minute there, Mr. Bridge Builder. Don't use this false concern about the right as a proxy for your own fucking paranoia. I mean, just earlier in this episode, I played a clip where he says the far left is as fixated on race as the KKK, but the problem is the far left isn't the fringe. They are everywhere, in tech, in academia, in journalism, etc., etc. This is his paranoia. It always has been. And now he's putting it entirely on the Trumpian right. Look, guys, it's not me. I'm just saying we shouldn't justify their paranoia. Fucking hell. Okay, last clip from this episode, and this is funny because he spent all this time in his intro talking about how wrong and unhelpful seeing any of this as related to racism or white privileges. Then he asks his guest, General Stanley McChrystal, about how things ended up here. And you gotta hear his answer. What do you think about this, and, and how do we um, begin to talk our way out of this great chris and i had a conversation before the podcast and one of the things that he pointed out that i thought was a great analogy was this isn't a brain aneurysm this isn't a condition that just suddenly appeared in u.s society in reality this is a lifestyle health problem that we've had over time that began decades ago and as we talked there's, there's a history of periods of extremism in the United States, such as the rise of the Ku Klux Klan in the 1920s, which a lot of people don't realize. But I would say that the hardest part of this really probably goes back to the 1950s, 
We came out of the Second World War and we were in the early stages of the Cold War. And suddenly, white men, which were the predominant demographic there at the Capitol, white men started losing ground. They started losing their privilege position. And what that meant was they, they lost some of it to the equal rights movement for gender, for women. They lost some of it to the civil rights movement. They lost some of it to the globalization of the economy. So the relatively and maybe undeserved privileged position that a white worker had for generations was suddenly under threat. And that caused great frustration. That caused a sense of loss. And we've seen that for several decades now. It was also matched by fear. Fear that they would be displaced in society, in fact, be in a position of the oppressed, vice the oppressor, you know, such as they had seen minorities before. And so when you put together frustration and fear, you get the combination of desperation or you get the output of desperation. And so suddenly they become fertile ground for accepting things that they want to believe. And so what we've seen now, I think, is a fairly evolved radicalization of part of our population. And it's accelerated by things like social media, the ability to communicate so quickly and the ability to limit what you hear of information sources to those which you already agree with. And as you become more radicalized, what we see is you become more and more of a tendency to listen to those things, which makes you, it's a self-reinforcing loop. So I think what we've got now is a significant part of our society that believes what they believe, and they believe it fervently. And they believe it to the point where they are willing to do violence. If we go back to the Turner Diaries from the 1970s, which Timothy McVeigh had a copy with him when he, in Oklahoma City, what we see is it's not new, but it's been evolving in American society. And I think we've now got a much worse physical condition in our society than, than we have yet admitted. So there you have it from yet another guest of his. Going against everything Sam spent all his time insisting. I think viewing any part of this failure at the Capitol in terms of race is just deeply unhelpful in addition to very likely mistaken. And suddenly white men, which were the predominant demographic there at the Capitol, white men started losing ground. They started losing their privilege position. I am surprised he didn't do a little bit in his intro saying the retired U.S. Army general was way too woke for him, but he'd seem rather silly if he did that, so maybe he decided against it. <laughs> there you have it, guys. Woking Up 4 has finally come to an end. I hope your ears are not bleeding by this point. All right, till next time. Let me know what you thought. Your comments and feedback are really what make this worthwhile. Otherwise, it feels like I'm talking to no one. And on the theme of Sam Harris is so often wrong, I will leave you with this ridiculous clip from my conversation with him in 2016. You know, if you had a crystal ball and you said, yeah, actually, uh, 75 years from now, Europe is going to have much more the character of the Middle East today than the Europe you, you know and love. Um, that certainly seems possible to me. Um, and 
it's worth worrying about, and that would be like really, like really possible. Like, can people will impose Sharia or or just the, there'll be you know if you said to me. 20 years from now, there will be a civil war in France and a million people will die, right? That does not seem like like a, a completely paranoid concern. I mean, the, the, you know, I, what are the odds of that? I would, I would put the odds of that at, who knows? If you told me, if you told me the odds were 50-50, I wouldn't find a good reason to tell you they weren't. Now, if you told me that about the United States uh, or Canada, I would be much more surprised. And... Um, so that's a measure of, of how of how dis- different the problem is in Europe, and, and it's largely it's not entirely due to the recent migration crisis, but it's um, it's certainly been exacerbated by it. Thanks for listening to Woking Up. You can support this show by sharing it or via Patreon.com forward slash Nice Mangoes. No Ian Mangoes. And a special thanks to Intellectual Dark Wave for helping out on the musical front.